Okay. Is everyone awake? Is everyone warm? Are you too warm? I'm too, yeah, I'm bored. I'm right on the edge, right on the edge. I'm going to wear a grandma cardigan, a grandpa cardigan today, but just a little bit too thin. Right now, hmm, revising that choice, but anyway. We've been teaching around a conversation that we've called, I don't know what I believe. And it's a six-week conversation that we're having around the big ticket items, the big fundamental items that we, as followers of Jesus, build our faith on. And uh, four weeks ago, we talked about salvation, about Jesus. Christianity's not about what, first and foremost, first and foremost, what we believe. It's about whom we believe, Jesus. Week two, we talked about a big churchy word called sanctification, that all of us are in a process of being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And none of us are there yet. And so we need to make sure that we are vulnerable and open to this transformation. And if you say you don't like change, don't follow Jesus. He's all about change. Week three, we talked about sovereignty. That was last week. Sovereignty. It's not an everyday word, I understand, unless you're in the royal family, somewhere in the world. Sovereignty basically translates, God is in control. You can get all these messages on our podcast. And by the way, some of you that weren't here last week, and I just said we talked about sovereignty, the idea that God's in control. Chances are there's been times where you've doubted that very thing. And I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that. We even make these slides now available uh, on the interwebs because uh, a lot of stuff we do is visual. And uh, you can just check them out through our Facebook page and follow along with the slides while listening to the message. Or, better still, be here every Sunday. And you get first bite of the cherry. Today I want to talk about suffering. Said no one ever. I want to talk about suffering. If you've been here for these last three weeks and again today, hopefully you'll have noticed that what I've tried to do each week is ultimately reframe for many of us some of what is actually wrong thinking, wrong beliefs. Sometimes it's stuff that's been handed down to us through no fault of our own. We've kind of swallowed it whole. And actually, it's not necessarily been 100% accurate. Well, on the topic of suffering this morning, I want to do that once again, or at least try. To reframe some of our perspectives on suffering, and I hope and pray, and it's my intention, and I believe better still God's intention, that some of you are going to set, get set free this morning. How does that sound? Who wants a bit more freedom in their life, freedom in their heart, freedom in their world? Yeah, absolutely. Let me start with a question. Do you, any of you have any scars, any physical scars? Has anyone got any scars? Anyone they want to, one of you want to come up and, and show us your scars? We'd have a scar measuring competition. We could have a scar counting competition. Uh, I'd be in the running. Um, I've, got a, I've got a scar here. Oh. Where's the love? That was when I was seven. I had a little cyst, a little cyst, uh, cyst, not sister, cyst growing on my finger. And uh, under some local anesthetic, the doctor cut it out. The most painful part for me was looking at the stitches afterwards. It was like, 
I can't just, it's not my thing. So I've got a scar there. You can probably see it from the back row. It's massive. And, uh, and then I've got a whole lot of scars from cycling. Now, it's understandable, you know, little boys riding bikes fall off. We get scars. The, the difference with me is all of mine came in my early 40s <laughs> whilst riding bicycles. Or it wasn't actually while I was riding them that the scars came. It was the act of falling off. And uh, I've got a scar uh, right across my kneecap where uh, I was cycling. Uh, and uh, a driver pulled uh, in front of me across two lanes of traffic. And uh, they didn't see me. I didn't see them. I had the right of way, but they didn't realize that. And I hit them, and I did my best Superman impersonation, and I landed two lanes across uh, on the bitumen, and, uh, and uh, my kneecap uh, was suddenly visible to the entire world. And, uh, yeah, I, wasn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't passed out up to that point. <laughs> and then I looked down at my knee, and I don't remember much after that. So I've got a nice scar there, stitches and so on. Um, I've got probably my, probably my most uh, obvious scar is one I've got just uh, on the back of uh, my left shoulder. I won't show that to you this morning. If you want to come to my swim squad 5.30 in the morning, you get to see that. Uh, it's a, it's a probably about this big, and it probably sits a ridge about, I don't know, maybe half a centimeter, a centimeter kind of. It, it looks like a little Ayers Rock. Um, and uh, that happened from a, a, a cycling uh, incident. I was in a race down at Carry Valley in the southwest of Western Australia. I was coming uh, down a, a, one of the very, very smooth bitumen roads down in that part of the world. And, uh, and my, my carbon fiber uh, frame uh, had a crack in it, but I didn't know that. And so I, it caused me to, to, to develop the death wobbles and uh, threw me off. And, uh, and I, I ended up with, you know, just road rash everywhere. But, uh, that, and that's mostly kind of cleared up. But um, this one on my shoulder, you see, I wear a, I wear a helmet when I race. That's a, it's, it's, a, it's a time trial helmet. It's aerodynamic, and it's got a long pointy end. And what happened is when I fell off, uh, 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 this, is, this is how I sort of recreated it because I, I don't remember, fell off, the pointy end of my helmet dug into my shoulder and scooped out. a lot of what was then my flesh. Oh, toughen up, princess. This whole conversation around I don't know what I believe is centered on one little extract from a letter that Paul, Paul was like one of the heavyweights, probably the heaviest of the heavyweights of the early church. He wrote a letter to one of the guys he was mentoring, a guy named Timothy. And there's an extract that we've been looking at for this whole six-week conversation. I want to just pull a little bit of that out this morning. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he said, And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted him until that day. Paul's saying what 
his kind of job is. He's an apostle. These days we might call that type of person a bit of an entrepreneur, that, that, that his job is to go out and start new churches and then find up leaders and, and appoint them. And that's what he'd done with Timothy. And Timothy then took over the leadership of that church. And Paul would go on to, to a new part of the known world and start another church there. And he was doing all of that. And yet he said, that's why I'm suffering as I am. Because what happened is when he wrote this particular letter, Paul was actually in a maximum security prison cell, an underground jail that was, uh, that was damp, uh, smelly, uh, no, no, no light, no airflow. He was chained like a dog. And he said, and he was, he was arrested and put in that situation because the authorities of the day, the Roman Empire, felt threatened by what Paul was doing, that he was going out and starting these churches and telling people about Jesus. Because of that, they arrested him and put him in this prison. But Paul said, but this is no cause for shame. No cause for shame that I'm, that I'm currently in prison. And it's a curious thing to say that this is no cause for shame. The reason Paul would have said there's no cause for shame is because back then there was a myth that if you were a, a real follower of Jesus, you know, if you had real faith, that nothing bad would ever happen to you. Especially if you're like Paul, the heaviest of the heavyweights, you know, the Mike Tyson of the early church world. And yet, despite him supposedly knowing all about Jesus, he now found himself in this prison. And he had a lot of critics, people criticizing him. And, and that happens today, right? Has any of you ever heard Someone say to someone else, when maybe they're sick or uh, have poor circumstances, said those incredibly encouraging words, oh, it's probably because you don't have enough faith. Ever, ever had that sentence drift around your orbit? That's what people were saying about Paul. Paul says, hey, mate, Timothy, let, you, let, let, me, let me let you know this. I'm in prison because I've been out there preaching the gospel, but my being in prison is no cause for shame. But that's not meant to happen, right? If God is good, nothing bad ever happens to people who love and serve him, right? Well, let me, let me flip over to another letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it to a bunch of Greeks in a place called Corinth. And that church had been, had been, uh, had had some people kind of telling them that Paul isn't all that in a bag of chips, that Paul is not all he's cracked up to be, that, you know, oh, you look much bigger in, on TV, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and this is what Paul wrote to them. Since you admire the egomaniacs of the pulpit so much, hey, remember, this is your old friend, the fool talking. Let me try my hand at it. These are the people that have been criticizing Paul in front of the church in Corinth, and he's kind of setting up his defense of himself. Do they brag of being Hebrews, Israelites, the pure race of Abraham? Huh, I'm their match. Are they servants of Christ? Huh, I can go them one better. You know, Paul starts to, he's had these critics criticizing him to this church in Corinth. He starts rolling out his resume. Oh yeah, they reckon they're real deal, you know, high caliber Hebrews, I'm like the number one. They reckon they've done some cool things. He says, anything they've done, I can do better. And that's the stuff you put on your resume, right? You put on the good stuff. 
You know, when we put a referee, you know, resume, you put a referee, you only put the people that you know are going to say good things about you. You know, you don't put the, the guy that fired you. Oh, no, I don't even remember working there. Because you, you, it's all about the good stuff, the good stuff. Well, actually, this is the good stuff, but Paul then s- switches gears. And what's interesting, I, I would call these the marks of his ministry. It's not a word we use, but sort of like the, the high points, the marks of, of, of his ministry. So far, he's talking about, I'm the number one of the Israelites. Anything they've done, I've done and can do better. These are the marks of my ministry. These are, the, these are kind of the, 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 the things that I should be known by and remembered by. And this word mark, uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's actually got a couple of meanings. And one of them is, is kind of along that lines of what Paul just said, that, that it's like a badge of honor. And I'm was thinking about what's a classic badge of honor in our society today, a mark of quality, a mark of great craftsmanship, a mark of someone with a lot of money having their priorities completely screwed up by spending it on a vehicle that I sit next to the traffic lights on my Vespa. <laughs> my $4,000 vehicle with change. But this is a mark of a Rolls Royce, and it means things. So Paul starts to talk about the marks of his ministry, these, these high points. But the, the word mark doesn't just mean badge. It's actually on the flip side of the same coin. It can also mean bruises or scars that, that some of us carry marks that on the surface don't seem as glamorous, don't seem something we'd want to put on our resume. <laughs> but interestingly, Paul carries on writing to the church in Corinth his resume, his defense of why they should believe that he really is legit with Jesus. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count. And at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, which by the way, 40 lashes typically would would kill someone. Beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times. This is a heck of a CV, huh? Come follow Jesus. Here's the brochure. And immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country. Endangered by desert sun and sea storm. And betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor. Many a long and lonely night without sleep. Many a missed meal blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. See, usually when we want to brag about the goodness of God, we talk about the blessings, right? Paul mentioned a couple of them, but he almost kind of like, yeah, all right. Better throw them in. They did happen. But now let's get on to the good stuff. The scars, the bruises, the marks that I still carry. These marks, these scars, they actually confirm more than the blessings that I'm called by Jesus. And let me explain why. Before I do, though, let me just point out, there are two categories of scars. There are stupid scars, and they're the ones that we're responsible for. No, God doesn't love me. I got caught to drink driving again. No, 
you drunk too much, you got in your car, you're an idiot. I blame God, stop drinking and driving. There's stupid scars, okay? And then there's sacred scars. I want you to understand that God will meet us at both places. God's a redemptive God. God's a loving God. He'll even meet you to help heal your stupid scars. But don't blame him for causing them. All right? And then there's sacred scars, and he'll meet you there as well. So why is Paul bragging? Why is Paul rolling out this CV of all the bad stuff that's happened to him? Why is he showing all of his scars to the church in Corinth as, as his way of proving to them that he's called by God? He's just written to Timothy, we've been saved and called to live a holy life. We've been called, saved and called to, set, to a life set apart for God's plans and purposes. Well, here's the thing. If you think you're just saved, saved to sit, you're not a threat to the devil. He's going to leave you warm in the chair, drinking the coffee, and going home to your nice, comfortable existence. Paul had a long, 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 long list of scars because the devil tried to take him out time and time and time and time and time again. And Paul wrote to the church in Corinth his list of scars to say to them, hey guys, you want to know if I'm saved and called? You want to know if Jesus loves me? You want to know if I'm set apart for God's purposes, let me show you my scars. These scars are a reminder to me and to you that the devil tried to take me out and he lost. And he lost time and time and time again. He tried one thing that didn't work. He tried a new tactic that didn't work. He switched gears and tried a new tactic <laughs> that didn't work. He tried a new one that didn't work. When he figured that didn't work, he tried another one. That didn't work. I got the scars to prove it. The devil was after me because of the calling Jesus placed on my life. Scars to Paul were a proof that he was called by Jesus, not abandoned by Jesus. That Jesus loved him, that Jesus had called him. He had the scars to prove it. Some of you possibly have 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 bought into the myth that scars mean that God's not good because he let you get into that painful place. Many of the scars you carry are scars because the devil tried to take you out and he lost. And these are a reminder. You know, I shared four weeks ago when we started this conversation about uh, how several years ago I was leading a church in Adelaide, and uh, I got fired from, from leading uh, that church after a year. And uh, Louis and I, uh, for the next 18 months, uh, lived out of a suitcase each. Um, you know, the whole, I had three pairs of jocks. And uh, you know, the whole, you know, they, you can wear them longer if you turn them inside out thing. It's true. I had to try it. 
for 18 months, we had one suitcase each. We'd, 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 lost, we'd lost money. Uh, in two years, we lost $750,000. And uh, we, we got some financial scars. We've still got them. My, I, I, my Vespa cost me $4,000. You know, my, my, my convertible. Some of you walked past it this morning. It was, I tell you, it was, it, I, I woke up this morning, this, the second I got on that thing and started coming in here, four degrees. I have a Vespa because financially we're not in a position to buy a second car. That Vespa is a scar. But, but it's no cause for shame. I don't ride that humiliated. I ride that to say that the devil tried to take us out and he lost. And you, Mr. Rolls-Royce, pull up next to me on my 49cc Vespa, which I asked the mechanic to take the limiter off so it does go more than 60 kilometers an hour. Downhill um, and, and downwind and with a pretty significant rolling start. Um, my Vespa, I, I park it there. That's a badge of honor. That's a badge of honor. The devil robbed us of $750,000 in two years. I just, just turned 40. You know, it's the time when you're meant to have paid off your mortgage and start to build a legacy because that's what the Aussie dream is, right? The devil tried to take us out. It's no cause for shame because he lost. I got the scars to prove it. We went to Adelaide. We dislocated from friends and family here. Eventually wheeled our way back. God called us back to Perth. But we haven't reconnected and, and, and reignited some of those friendships. We carry some relational scars. But that's no cause for shame. And God continues to help us work to build fresh new relationships. And many of you are some of those relationships that we're building. The people that... Uh, fired me was the board of that church and uh, yeah it does happen uh they'd been uh, conspiring for nine months uh, having secret dinners which uh, i later discovered i was on the menu we're having the pastor for dinner hmm. <laughs> and um during that entire nine months those people had become our most important confidants. We were building new friendships and relationships with them. We were sharing stuff with them that we wouldn't share with anyone. And we got incredibly betrayed. And so we carry emotional scars. And, uh, but they're no cause for shame because the devil tried to take us out. The devil tried to take us out and he lost. Those of you that studied English... You would have studied syntax. You might not remember that you did, but you did. So let me take you back there. Let me do a little syntax experiment with you. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, this gospel, let me throw that up. This, of this gospel, I was appointed. Of this gospel, I was appointed. Next slide, that is why I am suffering as I am. This gospel, that is why I'm suffering as I am. This is the reason for that. This explains that. The mistake often we make when we're in bad circumstances is we try to flip the syntax. We try to, we try to interpret the gospel through our circumstances. 
But Paul says, no, you interpret your circumstances through the gospel. I'm suffering because I'm cold. I'm suffering because the devil tried to take me out. Yet he didn't. He lost. We get in bad circumstances and we start to interpret this from that. We flip the syntax and we start to say, God mustn't be good because I'm in bad circumstances. God mustn't love me because bad things are happening to me. God must have lost my number because I'm in this place that I feel out of control. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Those of you that are saved and called, we are saved and called to proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves us, Jesus died for us, and that we can have a relationship with him. And sometimes this is going to lead to that. But that is explained by this. And that is all the comfort we should need. Jesus has not lost our number. Yeah, we've got scars, but the scars are a reminder that the devil tried to take us out and he lost. And I was thinking about this during the week. Here's a hypothetical. Hypothetically, Let's just say that, that, that when I die, I go to heaven. P- me, personally. Let's just say, hypothetically. I know it's a long shot, but um, I'm, I'm hanging in there with that hope, you know. Uh, people, people have these... Have you ever heard people say, oh, when I, get, when I meet God, I've got a list of questions for him? Have you, ever, have you ever heard people say that? Has anyone ever said that? I got one question for God when I get there, if I get there. I got one question for him. Are you sure? Because if I'm in, I ain't got no more questions. I'm just like, whatever, I'm in. But let's just suppose I get there and I meet Paul. And Paul comes up to me and says, hey, Mark, how's it going? Oh, yeah, good, man, good. Hey, you got in. Yeah, I got in. Yeah, that's cool. Not not nothing that I did that was all about Jesus, but, you know, I was smart enough to choose to make him my Lord. And, yeah, here I am, you and me. Paul, how's it going? How's it going? Yeah, Paul's like, yeah, yeah, good. I've been here a little while, but it's good. Great, love it. Never leaving. And... um, and Paul says, so, uh, you know, hey, just curious, just, 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 I'm just interested to know that, um, hey, while you were on earth, did, uh, you know, anything bad ever happen to you? Got any scars? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, mate. For 18 months, I only had three pairs of jocks. <laughs> it was four degrees one morning, and I was meant to go and preach at Elevate Church, and I, I was riding a Vespa, flipping froze my onions off, mate. And Paul goes, oh, really? <clears throat> Let me show you some of my scars. And I'd be like, that's no, okay, Paul, I'm good. I'm good. Sometimes all the perspective we need is that what we think is suffering, eh, it's not really suffering. It's T-U-P stuff. Toughen up, princess. Even Paul knew that. Because this letter that he wrote to the Corinthians where he just put his resume out of all the bad stuff that had happened to him. It was a pretty good list, pretty long list. He finished it. He said, but if I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. None of us have ever been nailed to a cross, spat on, humiliated. You know, we're innocent, like, you know, we're innocent. Everyone in the maximum security jail is innocent. We're innocent when, you know, everyone's innocent. Jesus was innocent, and yet that happened to him. 
anything that we suffer in his name because we're saved and we're called. I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad that I got scars. Uh, I'm probably not going to brag about them much. <laughs> I'm going to brag about Jesus' scars. Jesus' scars, he, he was innocent and he's got a whole bunch of scars that he got for you and I. He died so that you and I would never have to. If a good God never let anything bad happen to people that love him, Jesus should never have died, right? But he was willing to take that because he was called. That was because of this. Jesus wanted to die in our place. Some of you, that might be the first time you've ever heard that. Pete started sharing that this morning with us and we took communion to remember that. Well, for some of you, it wasn't a case of remembering that was new information for some of you. Some of you, it was new information. You didn't ever know that Jesus died for you, that Jesus actually died so you could be reconnected into a relationship with God. Hey, that's great news. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to. However, as with any gift, you have to receive it. You have to unpack it. And right now, we want to give you that opportunity. For those of you that have never actually received that gift, that idea that Jesus died in my place. Jesus promises that if you actually receive that gift, if you say, yeah, I'll take that gift from you, Jesus, in exchange for my life, he promises that you will have everlasting life in connection with God. Most of you have already made that decision. You're already saved and called to a holy life. But for some of you, your next step is to take that gift, that gift of Jesus, we're going to give you that opportunity right here, right now. The last and most important thing we do this morning. For those of you that want to take that gift, say, Jesus, I thank you for dying in my place. I want to put my trust in you. All I want you to do in a moment is just slip your hand up. And when you slip your hand up, I'll see your hand. You're saying to Jesus, that's me. I want to take that gift that you've given me, dying in my place so that I can have a relationship with God. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. So real quickly, while I'm looking... For those of you that you need to make that decision now, just slip your hand up. You say, yeah, that's me. That's me. If you've already made that decision before, you don't need to put your hand up again. But for those of you that have never made that response, just put your hand up right now. You say, Jesus, that's me. I want to put my trust in you. I thank you for dying in my place. I want to take that gift of a relationship with God. Just slip your hand up and then you can put it down. Okay, we didn't see anyone put their hand up and respond to that invitation this week. We've seen uh, people in the last few weeks, which has been fantastic. Uh, let's take this on. Let's make sure that we're a church that's reaching people who have not yet met Jesus and uh, be used by him.